So if you were wondering what we meant when we said Techtober, this past week is kind of it. We had three events at the beginning of the week, reviews for a flagship drop in the middle, and oh yeah, I'm not in Chicago right now. It's the benefit of a Dowd podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we've got a lot of tech coming down the pipe from Apple, Samsung, Google, and more. Plus, reviews for the Microsoft Surface Duo 2 dropped this week, and mine was one of them. So I brought in reviews editor Sherilyn Lowe from Engadget to talk about it. Plus, we've got three Tech Yeah items from a company called MyCharge. These are three MagSafe-compatible chargers that I almost didn't review for the podcast, but that's a story in and of itself, and we will get to all of that but first of course we have to get to the news of the week This week started off with an Apple event at which we saw new AirPods and new MacBooks, along with a new generation of M1 chips. So yeah, this is going to be a long news piece, and it's not even going to cover the biggest thing Apple released this week. That comes in the next story. First, we got a new set of AirPods, not Pro, to which I'm going to give approximately 10 seconds of airtime, which is also about 9.5 seconds longer than they deserve. Here it is. They're new AirPods. They provide zero noise isolation whatsoever. You should not buy them. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Next, we got updated M1 processors in the form of the M1 Pro and the M1 Max. Both of these are a ton faster than last year's M1, and you can tell that because they added words Pro and Max to them. So the M1 Pro is up to 70% faster than the M1, which by all reports is already stupid fast. You get two times the GPU, 32 gigabytes of memory support, and unified memory up to 64 gigabytes. I'll be honest, I only half followed that part of the conversation because the M1 was already stupid fast and the M1 Pro and M1 Max are stupider fast and I'm just stupid. So hit the link in the show notes and read up on them. So why would Apple release two new chips without the hardware to go with them? They didn't, you see, because we also got new MacBook Pros size 16 and 14 inches respectively. And these things are looking awfully nice, but also awfully expensive putting aside the blazing fast performance these macbooks look super legit first of all gone are the two ports that apple used to ship on macbooks now you get three usb thunderbolt ports a headphone jack an hdmi port and an sd card slot like yowza that's a lot of io Plus, Apple walked back the touch bar which means there is no touch bar that everyone can hate on Finally, Apple added a notch to the MacBook. That's right, it's a notch in your laptop, which means it's going to be about six months before everyone else starts notching up their laptops, too. The notch now contains a 1080p webcam, which, let's be honest, will probably still suck because it's Apple. And Apple brought ProMotion to the display, ratcheting it up to 120 hertz. And you know what? I probably still won't see it on a laptop screen. One other note, Apple brought back MagSafe for charging the MacBooks. It's a new version of MagSafe. Apple called it MagSafe 3.0, so yep, there's another adapter to buy. But I still like MagSafe as a concept. It's the smartest way to charge a laptop. You can also still charge through either of the USB-C ports as well. So overall, 
This is a pretty big win for Apple. The pricing starts at $19.99 and goes up from there, though. So personally, I will not be getting one. That's just a bit too much, especially since I just bought a new laptop less than a year ago. But all the same, Mac fans should be very happy. But arguably the best product Apple introduced this week was its $19 Apple polishing cloth. That's right, folks. The Apple tax is alive and well, after all. This microfiber polishing cloth is guaranteed to work on any Apple device you own, whether it's a shiny new MacBook or an iPhone 6S that just refuses to die. Sure, CNET points out that you could also buy a 36-pack of Amazon Basics microfiber cleaning cloths for $18.86, but let me ask you, do they have an Apple on them? I don't think so. You see, Apple, this is the crap that people are talking about. You are doing so well pricing your phones and even your high-end earbuds right in the same neighborhood as your competitors. But then you go and pull this crap and give all the haters a reason to hate. I'm not one, Apple. I don't hate you. But damn it, Apple, you're making it really hard to not hate you. This is not the kind of PR that you need. Whoever's idea the $19 polishing cloth was, you should fire them and give them a $19 polishing cloth as a severance package. And staying on the events bandwagon, Tuesday saw the release of the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro featuring very attractive price tags of $599 and $899 respectively. Now, there's not a hell of a lot we don't know about these phones already, but there were some surprises to be had, starting with... <laughs> Snapchat? <laughs> okay, definitely did not see that one coming, but right off the bat, Google hit us up with a feature it developed with Snapchat that allows you to tap twice on the back of the phone and launch the camera app directly into Snapchat so you can take a snap or whatever the hell 19-year-old boys do with Snapchat. I really hope it doesn't take long for some Android nerd to remap the hell out of that shortcut, but for now, I guess I'll just have to remember not to tap the back of the phone. But let's get back to the phones. And we'll start off by breaking down what your three extra hundos get you if you buy the Pixel 6 Pro. You get a 6.7-inch screen as opposed to a 6.4-inch screen. Yay. You get a QHD 120Hz screen as opposed to a 90Hz Full HD display. Yay. You get a much bigger battery at 5000 milliamp hours versus 4614. That's legit. You get 12GB of RAM versus 8. Whatever. And the Pixel Pro has a 512GB option, which I won't buy. You also get a periscope lens, which I've read as a 5x or 4x zoom, depending on who you read. 5X is nice, 4X is less nice, neither is 10X, you know, Samsung, but whatever. Google also said that you can get a hybrid zoom of up to 20X, and I don't doubt that Google means go right up to 20X, young man, you'll be just fine. But the event focused a ton on camera tricks that the new phones will be able to do. Notably, Google will pay attention to phone trees for you, like press 1 for accounting, press 2 for customer service, that kind of stuff. Google will listen to all of that for you and put the options spelled out for you on the screen so you can just tap whichever one you want and it'll enter the correct number for you. Google also showed off Face Unblur, which basically takes two composite photos with both cameras when it detects a face, and then it overlays the face over the other picture so you get a not blurry face. 
We're gonna see how well that works. I have a trampoline in the backyard with my daughter's name on it. But Google also showed off a magic eraser feature which uses AI and machine learning to allow you to remove stuff from a photo that you find objectionable, like a person in the background, or maybe finally flow Ion's fence at long last, we can hope. But that's not all that went down, there was a lot more, so again, hit the link in the show notes for even more details. It was a lot. Speaking of a lot, Android 12 dropped for the rest of the Pixel lineup on Tuesday, as expected. I know I downloaded it for the 5A as soon as I saw it drop, and I've been playing with it a bit on the Pixel 3A for stuff like how-tos and whatnot for Android Central, but I really haven't dug into it hardcore. Honestly, it'll probably be a while before I get a chance to use it on the regular. I might yet get the Pixel 6 to review. I need to you know, review the budget before I can make that call. But I already have two phones to review on the podcast queue and two phones to review for other sites, so my pockets are pretty well accounted for for the next few weeks. I do have to say, though, overall, I really like the look and feel of Android 12. I think the quick setting shade icons are a bit too big. Two columns of icons just means you don't get access to a hell of a lot of them. It might just be a matter of needing to get used to it, but that's my four hours opinion on the subject. Everything else, though, looks quite nice, and I need to play with some wallpapers to get the Material U thing going, and I can find a nice color palette. But overall, I don't have much of an opinion on Android 12, and I probably won't for a while. When I do, you'll be among the first to know. Then we get to the third event this week, this time coming from Samsung, and damn, Samsung has not figured out this virtual event stuff at all. The headline of this was the bespoke edition of the Samsung Galaxy Flip 3. Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know what bespoke was or that it was even a word or what it meant until about two years ago. Moving on, the bespoke edition for the Z Flip 3 means you can design the back of the phone with up to 49 color combinations of the top panel, bottom panel, and hinge. So if for whatever reason you really don't want to get the maximum resale value for your phone, you can bespoke it, though it'll cost you an extra $100. Peachy. And bespoking was also for the Galaxy Watch 4. There are new watch faces and complications that you can combine in any way you want to make your watch more bespoker, I guess. Samsung also teamed up with some fashion influencer, trendy, whatever person to come out with an edition of the Galaxy Watch and Buds 2 that have their logo on it. Wonderful. Samsung also added a couple of gestures to the watch that allow you to pick up a phone call or dismiss it, which is nice. And all of that is fine. I'm not going to yuck your yum if you're into this stuff. But Samsung did not need an event for this. It barely needed a press release. There was simply no point in putting any of those people in front of a camera, especially that singer or whoever that was at the beginning and her fake-as-hell Instagram life, whatever. Just overall, no thank you, Samsung, and keep trying. But seriously... Don't keep trying. Getting away from the event news, this week also saw an announcement of a new partnership between Mobvoi and Cardi X. Mobvoi is the maker behind the Tick Watch, which is one of my favorite smartwatches that I've worn that isn't made by Apple. And Cardi X is a health analytics company out of Australia that is focused on heart and arterial health. And trust me, if you're going to look for a company that's interested in heart health, you can't do better than looking in a country that is designed to kill you. 
Cardi-X will allow these tick watch to measure arterial health, exercise capacity, arterial age, and heart stress scores. And believe me, I am not looking forward to those numbers on me. It's going to be all like, dude, how are you not dead already? Anyway, the main reason the story interests me is that it gets a smartwatch company a little bit closer to overall health. Samsung watches can detect body mass and whatnot, but when it comes to heart health, it's good to see a new emphasis on this from a company not named Apple. And by the way, as nice as it is to see, Cardiacs won't put the tick watch within spitting distance of the Apple watch, but it does push it just a little bit closer. Facebook, the crappy company run by terrible people, might not be that anymore. And I mean, it'll still be a crappy company run by terrible people, but it might not be Facebook anymore. It seems Zuckerberg wants to rebrand because that won't screw up 2 billion people around the world. Now, this is just at the rumor stage, and yeah, I know, rumors. But it's a free swipe at Facebook, and as much as I hate reporting on rumors, I will not pass up on a free swipe. Just what this rebranding will entail is still a mystery, and rumor has it even Zuckerberg hasn't settled on a final name yet, so that's awesome. I suspect we'll see something happen at Facebook like what we saw at Google, and when I say Google, I mean Alphabet, but come on, seriously, it's, it's Google. Facebook will likely become a subsidiary of a larger corporation along with WhatsApp, Instagram, Oculus, and more. And I guess that makes sense, but I doubt the name Facebook is going anywhere. And seriously, Zuck, you can call a bag of crap a rose, but it won't smell any better. We'll have to wait and see how this all plays out, but I really like saying Facebook, the crappy company run by terrible people, because it really rolls off the tongue really well. Now, some speculate that this might be part of Mark Zuckerberg's desire to make Facebook into the metaverse but again i'm gonna be honest here i have no idea what this metaverse he keeps talking about is it's it's like facebook dude people should not be living their lives on a social media platform even though some arguably are the metaverse is some way that people can interact with each other in a virtual world and yeah i guess that could see facebook being part of that but are we all headed towards ready player one I sure hope not. People are online too much as it is, and this is coming from one of those aforementioned people who are online too much. The first step in solving a problem is knowing that you have one, and people are all online way too much. So let's just ease up on the metaverse there, Zuck, and why don't we get people, you know, interacting in the real world first, okay? Solve that problem, and then we can talk about virtual reality social clubs. If you watched the movie Suicide Squad this past summer, you may remember that the end of the movie set up a new Peacemaker miniseries. Well, we got our first trailer of that miniseries this week, and it looks just as awesome as the movie. In the miniseries, Peacemaker, played by John Cena, is joined by a gang of the usual helpers, people who beat other people up, and a computer nerd, and a new person who provides comic relief. He's also joined by a superhero named Vigilante, who is giving off some serious Deadpool vibes. And actually, now that you mention it, I would love to see a Deadpool movie written by Ryan Reynolds and James Gunn. Disney, make that happen. Regardless, the trailer is out, and it looks awesome. And by the way, when did teaser trailers turn into three-minute-long events? Teaser trailers used to be like 15 to 30 seconds long. That's why they were called teasers. Anyway, I don't want to start an old man rant here, but Peacemaker looks good, and I'm down for anything that stars John Cena. 
And finally, you'll recall a few weeks ago I talked about how Brad Wright, the producer and showrunner for the Stargate franchise, was teaming up with Google to write a brand new Stargate script using AI. Well, it turns out that the script must be going well because on November 6th, Michael Shanks, Amanda Tapping, David Hewlett, and Jewel State will all reprise their roles as Daniel Jackson, Samantha Carter, Rodney McKay, and Jennifer Keller for a table read of the AI-generated script, and I am so down. Of course, it's going to be over Zoom, which is not the greatest. There's nothing quite like a table read interrupted by long pauses, and I think you're muted, but we'll take what we can get. I should also mention that you have to be a member of the Companion app in order to watch this, and yeah, they sucked me in, and that's perfectly fine. I'm enjoying the content. Even if Brad Wright didn't return my offer for podcast production assistance on his Conversations and Sci-Fi podcast, I ain't mad. But regardless, it should be a fun thing to check out, and it's honestly just great to see and hear any kind of Stargate again. And come on, Amazon, take that newly acquired property and let's make some mojo! Backend application, API, bugs, attachment, DevOps, backend, frameworks, backward, component, orientation, natural language, language software, blue text editor, book margin, Boolean web server. Welcome to. This week for Tech Yeah, we're looking at a trio of items that could be pretty useful if you're heading out for a long day or night on the town. These are the MyCharge Maglock battery packs that come in sizes ranging from 3,000 milliamp hours up to 9,000 milliamp hours. There's really not a lot more to them. They have magnets that attach to the back of a MagSafe iPhone, and they wirelessly charge at 5 watts. They have a single USB-C port on the bottom so that you can charge with a wire if you prefer. And they come in a range of colors, including white, red, black, blue, and purple. And I can assure you that each one of those has some marketing name attached to them, but those are the colors. So let's talk about the pros. There are some kind of neat ideas here. First and foremost, the chargers ship in a box magnet side up so you can actually attach your phone to the charger while you're in the store and actually see it start to work. You get a little beep and you let you know that it's connected and it'll start charging. It's kind of cute. The magnet is strong enough to hold two and one half times the weight of an iPhone 13 Pro Max. So when I say it's a nice sturdy grip, trust me, it's pretty tight. My charge actually recommends holding your phone buy the battery pack rather than trying to grip both. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but yeah, that's what they say. The magnetic part is also raised, which pushes the battery off the back of the phone just a little bit. The advantage here is heat dissipation. By separating most of the body from the phone, heat is able to escape, and if there's anything we know about wireless charging, it's that heat is kind of a thing. So raising it up will help that. The battery pack has what my charge calls a hard candy shell, which is scratch resistant. Basically, the battery won't look like hell when you use it. It's a nice touch. According to my charge, the 9000 milliamp hour battery will give you an extra 48 hours of power, and I tested that. Sure enough, the phone came off the charger at 7 o'clock p.m. on Friday, fully charged, and I used only the battery pack to charge over the weekend. My phone lasted until 10 p.m. on the following Monday. So what's really nice is that you can grab this big battery and be good for an entire weekend. Now we have to talk about the downsides. 
When you power on the battery pack, there's only a single LED light, so it's hard to know how much juice is left in the pack. When the pack gets low, the light turns from green to red and blinks, but that's the only indication that the charge is getting low. Something like four pips would be nice to get a better idea as to where you stand, but that's not the biggest problem here. The biggest problem comes when you attach the battery to the back of the phone. It seems MyCharge didn't have specifications for the iPhone when they designed this because the battery rubs up against the camera bump and cannot sit straight on the back of the iPhone 13 Pro because of that. You can straighten out the battery, but that kind of lifts it off the back of the battery ever so slightly and it just doesn't feel right. It's a silly design flaw that really shouldn't be there. Now, unfortunately, that's not the only way that the camera and the battery disagree. The ultra-wide camera on the iPhone 13 Pro is the bottom lens, which is the closest to the battery pack, and I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. Yes, the ultra-wide camera actually picks up a little bit of the battery pack when it's attached. Now, that's only for the 6,000 and 9,000 milliamp hour battery pack. The 3,000 milliamp hour battery pack is fine. But when you're using either the 6 or 9,000 milliamp hour battery pack, one side of your photo is going to get blocked and that's not awesome. Now, you could simply take the battery pack off or even rotate it to take your photo. Sure, but should you have to? No. I had a chance to sit down with the CEO of MyCharge and he walked me through the decision-making progress as to how they arrived at their final design. And it's largely based on consumer feedback and solving pain points that customers had. It's all great, but it doesn't change the fact that you can't put the thing straight onto the back of an iPhone and maybe you don't care. And that's why I bring it to you. There's a link in the show notes at benefitofadow.com. And if you decide to pick one up, you'll be helping out the show and you'll have my thanks. But for now, let's get back to the show. My next guest on the podcast will be playing the Siskel to my Ebert, and for those of you who don't get that reference, congratulations on not being old. Since graduating with a master's degree in journalism from Columbia University, she's been reviewing all manner of tech and nerd hardware. Most recently, she joined Engadget as reviews editor and recently completed her review of the Surface Duo 2, which is what brings her with us today. Sherlyn Lowe, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. And I know it was kind of, I mean, like, I think everything with the Surface Duo has been fairly <laughs> high stress <laughs> and, and, um, and like hurried along. So I appreciate that, I'm, that this podcast can keep that theme going. Um, <laughs> the reason I wanted to bring you on was because you reviewed the Surface Duo 2 I, mm -hmm. for Engadget. I reviewed it for Digital Trends and I thought we could just kind of compare notes. I know that I noticed, uh, that you had, not the greatest opinion about it, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So I, I think I was a little bit more on the uh, on the positive side, but I'm just a happy-go-lucky guy, I guess. So anyway, um, so yeah, I just wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the Surface Duo, your impressions, and you know what you thought about it, and maybe we can, uh, like I said, compare notes. So why don't we just start off with your overall like high-level view of the Surface Duo Two? Where do you? Uh, where do you think it falls in the smartphone spectrum there? Or is it a smartphone? Because that's a question that Microsoft introduced last year. Um, yeah, I, I I still don't think it works very well as a phone. Um, okay. It's a little too wide in its single screen mode to, to be a, a good phone substitute. You can you cannot really find a good way to use this thing with one hand. I think that's a consensus that quite a few of us came to mm -hmm. that um 
you know, this thing is just really hard. Even if you want to use it, you know, the, even if Microsoft did incorporate things like a good one-handed keyboard in certain uh, orientations, it's just, it's just no. So, so if you think of a phone as something you can also use comfortably with one hand, the Surface Duo 2 is not it. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally fair. You know, and I was thinking to my, I was thinking like while I was doing my review, I, I was thinking like why, like the LG V60 and the LG phones that all had that dual screen, they all had that phone sized double screen that you could open up, you could use it with one hand or you could open up and use it with two hands. And I was wondering to myself, like, why did Microsoft go with uh, this like wider aspect ratio that kind of, that kind of threw things off. But then like, at the same time, I was like laying in bed, you know, scrolling through Twitter, and it was actually kind of refreshing to actually have some width when you're mm -hmm. reading something, you know, like just from an like a I hate to use the term screen real estate perspective, but even when you're in one screen mode, it was kind of nice to have that additional width, I thought, so I didn't have to like scroll five times to read a single tweet, you know what I mean? I so. I I agree that the Duo 2 as a device and as a concept has its appealing points. It's definitely mm -hmm. something that we want to see happen and we want to see succeed. No one out there that's reviewing this and gave a critical review wants this to fail. We actually want this to be good. Microsoft should do better. We want Microsoft to do well. You know, it's funny. It, it's, it's almost as if you listened to my last episode because I actually oh. just had... I just had a conversation with, with my audience about this. Um, at the time, we were talking about Elon Musk and the uh, the, the self-driving, the full self-driving beta. There was a line in the, in, the, in the terms of service that said, remember, there are people out there that want Tesla to fail. And I took that as a challenge to tell my listeners, look, I don't hate technology. I genuinely want this stuff to succeed. And I kind of likened it to me being a, a Chicago Cubs fan is when the Cubs are bad, I'm going to say that they're really bad, but it's only because I want them to be really good. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, it's a similar situation here when you have Microsoft that's trying to, and, and I, and, oh God, I'm going to put air quotes here, create a new mm -hmm. device category. It, I mean, yeah, that's a definitely a hard thing, and there's there's definitely a journey to be taken to get to that new device category. So yeah, yeah, it, it, I'm I'm glad I'm really glad that you that you pointed that out. Now I think we can agree, and I I just want to kind of run through the the gamut of the typical um, review stuff. So let's just mm -hmm. take a moment to talk about the hardware itself. The hardware is arguably one of the best points about mm -hmm. the about the surface duo to the point where last year microsoft only let reviewers talk about the hardware to start with and it's good to see that they've continued that tradition um with the with the follow-up um the hardware is indeed good it's one of maybe only two pros in my review which had a long list of cons <laughs> um the hardware is very good the hinge is great microsoft's you know experience in engineering hinges for its surface devices you know proves or, or really uh, shines here, it shows, right? And the hardware, other than the fact that the Obsidian color now is just like a really awful fingerprint magnet because of yes. the black covering and then it shows <laughs> so much more in the black uh, mm -hmm. color. Other than that, this is, this is beautiful. It's very thin, it's sturdy, you know, just holds itself up in all manner of angles. The screens are lovely AMOLEDs. They're fast refreshing screens, you know, 90 Hertz, which is an upgrade from last year, but mm -hmm. and and you need <laughs> just let's not forget what this thing costs fifteen hundred dollars. So right, 
Right. You know, let's. You need to hit all those hertz points. Is like, yeah, it's <laughs> almost a basic requirement for something at that price at this point. Um, so yeah, no, I I agree with you here that this is a piece is a beautiful piece of kit. Yeah. Now, and, and in terms of battery, I was actually pleasantly surprised by the battery life. I've had now. Granted, you and I have only been had this phone for what five six days at this point. So. Uh, maybe you a little bit longer. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, just a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like I have typically gone to bed with like almost 40 to 50 percent in the tank uh, when when this is when when all said and done. Now, on the one hand, it's because when you close the phone, it's closed and there's basically nothing you can do with it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's you know, it's not like you're popping on the screen to see if there's notifications and yada yada yada. But on the other hand, you know, you do have two screens to power here. So I th I was I was actually kind of impressed with how with how well the battery life was was lasting. Me from for me, yes, the battery was good for a dual screen device. It's like twelve hours ish on on a battery test or, or ten plus hours. Yeah, um, I think you, and given I think, the ninety hertz, yeah, given the ninety hertz screens, given the double double screen uh, uh, AMOLEDs, that's that's nice. I just feel like part of the reason it lasts long in daily use is because I don't have the desire to use it all that much. Like when you're using it, you're actively using it. And yeah. how often are we actively using a device, engaging in it, engaging in two screen activity? Because if you're starting to use it just as like a single screen device, the way we use our phones for pretty much everything, like set a timer, reply to a message, listen to songs, yeah. all of that stuff. I, I don't reach for the Duo 2 to do that by like on instinct. It's not something I want to go to the trouble of opening up a screen if it's not already open to do. And as we've already said, in a single screen mode, it's not the best. Yeah, um, yeah. When I did start to play a game continuously in single screen mode, though, the battery does start draining quickly. Oh, so, yeah. There's that. Yeah. And I, I think um, I, I forget. I think it was Michael Fisher who said, speaking of which, um, who said a specific, specifically about the Fold 2 in his review was when you're when you're using a foldable phone, you're you're actually um, have some deliberate deliberate actions that you have to take in order to use your phone you know a normal phone you could just pick up push the button and you know scroll 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 whatever with another with the other phones with folding phones specifically you have to pick it up and then you have to make the conscious choice to use the phone and maybe that's a good thing maybe that's a bad thing it kind of depends on your workflow but like mm -hmm. for me personally um the reason that i've been a, such a fan of dual screen phones is because I do a lot of reading and research and stuff like that, like, you know, copying from one window over to the other. And so like, especially like when I was putting together the, you know, the rundown for my news, which is not part of this interview, but it's, you know, mm -hmm. earlier in the show, you know, when I'm doing that, it's, it's wonderful to have a document open on the left side and, you know, Twitter open on the right side mm -hmm. or Google feed or something like that. It's wonderful to have that. So I guess, um, yeah, I, I guess, I think it's just a, a question of, you know, having making that deliberate decision to use your phone as opposed to just idly, you know, flipping it open. So. It's, it's a lot about the proposition of the device. What are you buying it for? Are you buying it mm -hmm. so you have something in addition to your smartphone to do all of this extra stuff well? Let's say you... you you somehow love Android as a multitasking OS and you just want to <laughs> you know, have an Android device on the go with you when you're working or flying or whatever it is. Um, or, you know, is this going to be your main phone, your main device? You're not going to have something else. And right. it is in those situations or for that sort of buyer that there are areas where the Duo 2 just won't hold up. Like, 
yes, it's a very good one purpose device. It's so good as a book. It's so good as this dual screen phone. It's even really good as like, uh, in my review, I said a mini second screen for my laptop. Yeah. So like I'll put up a little app for my Twitter feed or whatever on, on the, the duo two screen, have it next to my laptop. And, and what do you described? All the things you've described, like having two screens next to each other for once, right? We've, we've known two screens next to each other is good for like a long time, right? People buy sure. secondary monitors for laptops for a, a reason. So, and, and there have been dual screen phones in the past that just have never come as close as the Duo 2 to being so, so great, right? The hardware yeah. here is excellent. The ZT Axon M was just a mess. Uh, anything Kyocera did in the past, let's just forget it happened. So... It, it, Again, no one can argue here that like we want this to work. It's just like, come right. on, Microsoft, why did you release something with such finicky software? It's if a lot of like us asked, like, did Microsoft even test this themselves? And <laughs> what was the process like? You know, we'd love to be on the uh, fly on that wall to be like, that's true. How many? Yeah, how many times are you just going, huh? Shrug. It's okay. Enjoying this interview? Did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version? The full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like access to my Discord, early podcasts, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So, for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February 1st. I don't want you to miss out. Just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. That's benefitofthedoubt.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you take in some full interviews. And as always, I thank you for listening. And and let's take that opportunity to transition over to the software, which is arguably yeah. one of the weak points. Um, I, you know, I, I said in my review, I, I've, I'd been using the phone for three days when I wrote the review, and I already had one instance where the software just wigged out so much, mm -hmm. I had to restart the phone to get it to, to get yeah. it to work. Now, I would have to say that the bulk of my interactions with the phone were largely positive. Like, I didn't have a whole lot of weird bugs, but, you know, enough. And, and you and I had an exchange on Twitter where we both uh, mentioned that we have a few screenshots mm -hmm. of the phone of kind of freaking out a little bit. But, I mean, like, largely, I would say the my, my results were positive. My big concern was you had to kind of relearn some of the gestures for the navigation yeah. Just because I think in order for Microsoft to make this work, they had you mentioned in your review how when you're in landscape yep. mode, you have to swipe in from the side as opposed to swiping up from the bottom. Yep. And on the one hand, yeah, that was a little annoying to have to relearn. But on the other mm -hmm. hand, it actually worked in my world a lot better than swiping up from the bottom from any other Android phone when you're in landscape mode. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's just me taking the uh, taking the glass half full approach but um 
but yeah so what what were some of the i, I know we talked about the uh the you had in your review you had a, a story about uh having the keyboard completely failed to launch when you were trying to show it to somebody else and let's be honest when we're showing phones to other people isn't that usually when they fail <laughs> so at least that's been uh, my experience <laughs> but uh sure anyway. I, I i think it, it it depends on what you're trying to demonstrate right almost the opposite thing always happens like when you're trying to show a failure then, then that failure never happens right my oh right was well, even telling me 100 percent. yeah yeah he's just <laughs> like when the camera is on the thing it works perfectly and then when the camera is off it's completely awful i agree with you that a lot of the little software tweaks that microsoft had to do here are just a bit of relearning and that's fine the the landscape mode thing that we talked about is one of the things i'm referring to as just a little bit of readjusting it's fine it's a more it's more of like a pervasive issue across the board where like it just doesn't feel refined it doesn't feel like things hmm. are you know like certain so one of the things where i didn't immediately think it was a touch input lag until in one of our little like conversations with other reviewers they were complaining about touch input lag and then that's when i put two and two together and i was like oh that's oh what yeah I was experiencing. okay yeah <laughs> it was when i was trying to switch anytime i try to hit a little button on the duo 2 i was trying to switch lenses in the camera app or i was playing a game and targeting like a, a, a food item on a tray or whatever it just it takes more than one tap to register it always is like what's going on so it's either re not responding quickly enough which is why i felt like i needed two taps or it's just simply not responding or, or registering the mm. first tap so so there's something going on here that was already an issue in the original duo that a lot of reviewers pointed out that it doesn't seem Microsoft truly paid attention to. I'm going to have to pay closer attention to that, because now that you mention it, <laughs> there were a couple yep. of times when I'd be like, you know, especially like in Slack, trying to switch between Slack mm -hmm. rooms, and I would try to hit that arrow in the corner, and maybe, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to no, pay more exactly attention it. to that. For the premium that this price tag commands, there are little picadillos that you should not have to deal with, mm -hmm. and... I totally agree with that. And and I actually found most of my picadillos in the camera software, which will transition us nicely over to that <laughs> particular that area. Now, the cameras themselves were a good upgrade over the last, but I mean sure, yes. as I said in my review, quote, a potato would have been a great upgrade over the over True the facts. previous generation yes. camera. Um so now I found the uh, I found the triple uh, the triple camera setup to be Okay, great during Fine. daylight, but what isn't during during daylight? Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was interested to learn that Microsoft had built their own sensors for this particular phones, which was a choice. You know, they didn't source it out through, through like the usual suspects, um, you know, the Sonys or the Samsungs or whatever. So that's oh, that was a choice that they made and mm -hmm. decent job. But like, but yeah, my biggest qualm with the camera was very likely the lag that I like hitting the shutter button and catching a dog's back instead of their face, you know, that type of stuff. So, so um, bad. <laughs> tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I'm crying. It's so bad. I yeah. saved the camera testing towards the end of my review. And, and that's why for the most part, most of my review was like, Oh, actually this is, this is fine. It feels good. And then I, I tried the camera and right. then I was like, what the hell is happening here? It's first of all, Let's talk about what's happening before I tell you why I think it's happening, right? So, okay. so like you said, this is like, you know, it, you can't rapid fire sh shoot anything in burst mode. There's just no, you can't shoot more than three photos in like 
three seconds and expect them to all show up. Basically, right. if you take a photo, it'll show up like three seconds later and, you know, welcome to 1997. But, but what's, what's wrong here is that this is a Snapdragon 888 powering this thing. Sna the Snapdragon 888 is built to enable faster burst shooting at high resolutions of up to 180 megapixel, 108 megapixel cameras on, on phones that like Xiaomi and the like make. And yeah. those can handle those high-res images, maybe with some bidding or whatever. But high-res files, large files, in rapid succession, succession no problem. And Am I wrong? But didn't the 888 also feature the ability to like either shoot or film with all three cameras at the same time? Yep. Mm -hmm. That was it's one supposed of the to, things, but right? It's supposed <laughs> to, but the OEMs have to enable it. So, so the uh, OEMs, okay. yeah. Okay. Like, gotcha. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. I, this is where I think the slowdown is happening. I think that in trying to implement that UI where you make it dual screen, you make the camera app appear on, you know, like the photo appears immediately on the other screen once you snap mm -hmm. it. Right. That's why there's a delay because mm. it has to bring up the picture every time you hit the shutter button. So there's a communication there that, that has to happen to not only save the photo to your memory, but pull it up on the other display that's causing this lag. Interesting. And like, okay. that's so inconsistent too, because sometimes the second screen just doesn't show up. Like, do you, right. <laughs> during your right. testing, I don't know if it's the same for you. Um, I don't recall that often. I actually found the the most comfortable comfortable way for me to do it was to have it at a ninety degree angle and just yeah. like like rest it on my palm. And actually, I could put the viewfinder on the bottom screen so that mm -hmm. like I would just I would push down on the button rather than trying to push yeah. it forward. So I mean, like for, for totally. what it's worth, that's that's what worked for me. But it was yeah. You know, it, it, and that's one of the things like that was one of the the like going into this, I knew that was going to be a problem was like, mm -hmm. how are you going to use this camera one handed? And it's just not. Nope. Yeah, that's and then all the one handed arguments up until now, I've been able to easily dismiss. But this one I cannot because, There's you no know, way. just use, using the using the camera one handed because the phone ha is so wide and because it has to be open. It was a bit of a miserable experience so i will uh i, I will you're definitely like, give you points on that one you're definitely one of the the like kinder reviewers of the duo two there are um, i tried out there <laughs> just i think you you really 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 wanted for this to do to succeed you know i did um, i did yeah yeah <laughs> what i remembered was when you were describing the situation the the, the position you used the camera the most and and found it most suitable which is having it bent at 90 degrees. I, I actually tried that out um, in, in to take s sort of selfies from a far away with. Um, it's great when you have it like near you and you're taking a photo of the landscape. But then I took it, yeah, using the selfie camera on that to similarly to the um, Galaxy Z Fold 3 or the Z Flip 3, you have that like flex mode to shoot selfie yeah. cameras with, uh, selfie photos with, yeah. Um, but the... the I don't know if like you noticed this, but when it's, it's selfie camera basically struggles very much in low light. It tries to oh, overexpose, oh, yeah. doesn't yeah. know what to do. And as me, my photo my video producer and our friend, we were just like standing far away from the camera that was propped up to face us. And you can just see from a distance how like actively it's it's just wildly over uh, overexposing and just going back and forth between different exposure levels mm, okay. and struggling we weren't doing anything the scene was the same it just was just having just trying a hard to time. yeah yeah i found the selfie camera was actually quite bad in low light. i find in fact most of the cameras all were of it pretty was, yeah. bad <laughs> in, in yeah. low light i 
that being said, like some good photos were possible. Yes. Not yeah, but like, yeah, it was it was definitely a challenge to uh, to get those to go and and you know again this I, I would I would call the triple camera setup is kind of this is kind of a first generation for Microsoft mm. because they didn't have one last generation so hopefully this is something that we'll see improve maybe Microsoft will start using not their own sensors next time mm -hmm. we can hope um, yeah I, but but overall yeah I think the camera was probably one of the worst parts about the phone, which is unfortunate being yeah. the shutter bug that I am. So mostly, mostly the app, honestly, the hardware yeah. is eh, but it's the app where it really is awful. Now, if you want to take a positive from all of this, you could say mm -hmm. that like the hardware is beautiful. The software mm -hmm. is buggy and the camera is buggy, mostly in the software of the camera app. So maybe there's a chance that down the road, Microsoft could yeah. solve a lot of these problems post-production. It's possible. I, you know, the, my mantra as a reviewer has always been judge a phone on what it does today, not what it might do mm -hmm. tomorrow. And I think I think a lot of reviewers hold that particular um, um um, opinion so you know we can but we can hope still um but all the mm -hmm. same um i want to go ahead and just uh you know thank you once again for coming on and, <laughs> and chatting with the surface duo i think i've kept you about as long as i as long as i said i would so it has <laughs> been it's been fun i think you know we've learned a lot from each other and uh, but now i want to go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you and let you <laughs> and let you uh tell everybody how they can find you on the internets Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Sherlyn Lowe. My work is on Engadget.com. And you can also get a lot of my uh, rambly, ranty, and often silly insights on the Engadget podcast, of which I am a co-host. And it's on all podcast platforms. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on and chatting about the Surface Duo 2. And I hope to uh, have you on again soon sometime. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank Sherlyn Lowe for hopping on to chat about the Microsoft Duo 2 and our hastily written reviews. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you really enjoyed it, writing a review is the best way you can spend 60 seconds to help out the show. You can always reach out to the show by emailing host at benefitofadow.com or by visiting benefitofadow.com slash contact. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes and for providing a comfortable couch this weekend. But most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.